Welcome in. It's another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here at IndyStar.com. I'm your host, Derek Schultz. But the star of the show, as always, is the magnificent award-winning columnist, Greg Doyle. What's up, my man? You look shiny today. I, I know I, I, we got to put this up on YouTube, maybe, but it just feels like there's this heavenly glow around your face right now. Yeah, are you saying, are you calling me greasy? <laughs> no, I, I meant that in a complimentary way. Oh. I don't know. Were you were you hitting the bag in the garage just now or what? Angelic, perhaps. Uh, yeah, there you go. No, but I'm I'm writing I'm writing, and so maybe that's my glow when I write. Maybe I glow. <laughs> I was I was writing when you called, so I'm in writing mode right now. It's crazy because so much happened since we last did the show last week. Last week, right now, we were talking about okay, well, how do they proceed forward here with Nate McMillan? Because we were all under the assumption that he was going to come back, but. Let's start with that, Greg, what was a crazy week, but let's start with the Nate news because it threw me for a loop because I didn't feel like that's usually the way that the Pacers do business. And, you know, the extension had come well, however long ago it was, four to six weeks ago, it went public two weeks ago, and then suddenly he's gone. Yeah, and the reason why it looks so weird is that um, we didn't know the extent of the extension, and the Pacers weren't about to say what it was because it wasn't really much of an extension. It was kind of an extension in name only, and I guess it leaked out. Obviously, the Pacers weren't announcing it. It leaked out somehow, and maybe it didn't leak out in the way, in, in a truthful way. I don't even remember how it leaked out. But the bottom line is the Pacers did not extend Nate for next year and lock him in and guarantee him and all that. What they did was his contract expired and I'm sure this happened around the league in a lot of places, but his contract expired July 1st because that's when the NBA Finals will be over. And, you know, the contract was written years ago. Well, the bubble and the, the delay meant that he was coaching after July 1st. So the Pacers gave him like a three- or four-month contract because you're still coaching. And then they gave him a team option for the upcoming season. So really, did they extend him? I mean, I, I guess in theory, but this wasn't a case where you're our guy next year and then two weeks later, no, you're not. That's that's really not what happened. Oh, see, because I thought it was that they picked up the option for next year, but the extension was just another team option for 2022-23. Or 2021-22. <laughs> I don't even know. My years, it, it's crazy. But regardless, whatever money they had to eat, it wasn't a lot of money. It's not like, you know, you extended him four full years and locked him in and then you have to eat, let's say they're paying him $3 million a year, $12 bucks or anything like that. But just kind of what fascinates me about this, Greg, is that um, Kevin Pritchard and the close relationship that he has with McMillan, and, and now all this stuff comes out about, oh, people in the locker room weren't happy, even though Malcolm Brogdon sent the tweet when the extension news went public that he was cool with it. It's just weird how the, how quickly this kind of became an about face. I mean, we both agree, and we talked about it last week. The Pacers got completely outclassed and embarrassed by Miami in that series. But to have all of these things kind of come out after the fact, that surprised me a little bit. Yeah, and the about Malcolm Brogdon didn't do this. Malcolm Brogdon, uh, he wasn't happy um, with some of the way Nate was coaching, and 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 more than anything, he wasn't happy with the offense. And I think that you know when the extension came out. The Pacers were, I, mean, I don't think, I know, they were. They had the fourth-best record in the East and the seventh-best record in the NBA. And I like that dog very much. Um, a little bit loud, Sorry. but I, I like the dog. Um, so it's one, he felt one way about it, maybe. 
But then the playoffs come around and, and, and they got embarrassed. He felt a different way. But anyway, he wasn't happy. But a lot of players in the locker room weren't for real today. This is true. However, Herb Simon, Herb Simon did this. Um, now, Kevin Pritchard yesterday took – and you might want to do something about that because that dog is completely in our show right now. Sorry. I, I He's – Barking at the, uh, he, he has a rival neighbor dog, which he just goes crazy for. And I've got the door shut and he's on a different level and it's still loud. So I'm sorry. And I bet the, and the dog weighs like 30 pounds and yeah, you can I, hear I, him. I, he, he is a loud barker. Okay. Well, I, I like dogs. I like your dog. Anyway, the point <laughs> is now, and Pritchard was asked about this yesterday and, and said, no, her, well, he didn't actually say no, Herb didn't fire him. No, this wasn't Herb's idea. What he said was the buck stops with me. I mean, Pritchard. Pritchard, it was a masterpiece in, in leadership yesterday, is that, you know, I I take responsibility for this roster, this team. Nate got let go, but, you know, the you know you, you want to blame somebody, blame me. Now, some people could say, well, if you really want to be a leader, then, then quit. Well, that's, I mean, okay, that's that's one way of looking at it. But he was saying, I this is my fault, and he was saying, I fired Nate. The buck stops with me. But J. Michael, R. J. Michael reported, and he's got great sources, and I happen to I mean, I can I tell you the same thing is that Herb Simon wanted this done, fired after the sweep. So you're asking how the about face happened. We're here about Malcolm Brogdon, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Herb Simon woke up the next morning or maybe went to bed the night of the sweep and said, I can't have this anymore. I want a new coach. And that's where we are. And what you wrote about the Pacers being prehistoric and all of that, um, I completely agree with. I mean, we, we talked about how this was a team that was last in the NBA in three-point attempts. Uh, they didn't get to the foul line. They were strictly a two-point offense, and they tried to run two bigs out there with Sabonis and Turner, and we know Sabonis wasn't healthy for the bubble, but, you know, it's very much a throwback kind of an offense. But to defend Nate for one second, I do kind of agree with the comments that he made about how, look, I, I put the system in to fit our personnel, and the fact is, is that this is just the first of many moves that need to come because the Pacers, and I don't care what Pritchard says about keeping Turner and Sabonis together, they're going to have to make, if, if they bring D'Antoni in here or Kenny Atkinson or any of these other guys that are these modern head coaches, shoot threes or, or shoot layups or get the hell out, if, if you're going to have that be your coach, then you've got to change up this personnel big time. Yeah, and, and Pritchard... You know, he's in a position now where he can't say anything concrete about anything. Um, of course. Yeah. Right. I mean, he hadn't picked his coach yet. He hasn't gotten a coach to say yes yet. He doesn't know what's happening with, with Vic yet. I mean, he's got so many balls in the air that he, and it's not, you know, out of his control. Um, but he, he laid out his, his vision very clearly. His vision is he wants, he said, he used the word modern basketball. They want to play modern basketball, which means threes and free throws and layups and all that. But he also wants, and this is interesting. He wants a guy that can really communicate with the players. And it's possible D'Antoni, of course, they're about to go to the second round of playoffs. I don't, I don't know if you fired D'Antoni if they get the second round of playoffs. But anyway, um, D'Antoni's got to be in the 60s. Is, is that what he's talking about? Is, is, can you really hire Nate, fire Nate after four winning seasons, bring in, let's be honest, bring in a white coach who's even older when your stated thing was you want a guy who can communicate with the players? I don't. I don't think that he's going to bring in a sixty-year-old guy, and I'm not sure about Kenny Atkinson either. And besides, what's Kenny Atkinson done for me lately? Not a damn thing. I think their next coach is going to be young. It's going to be a Nick Nurse type, um, Tyron Lue type. Maybe if you're going to go to the college ranks, a Shaka Smart. You know, it's going to be a young person who can communicate with the players and will also shoot threes. The price tag for D'Antoni to me, Greg, 
makes that a non-starter for the Pacers. I know there's no salary cap for coaches, but D'Antoni's going to cost an arm and a leg to, to get him here. This isn't the most desirable job that's out there right now. There, there are other jobs that are going to be more desirable to somebody like D'Antoni. So the Pacers are really going to have to pay to lure him here. And I just, I don't see it. I don't even really think that it, they could surprise me, I guess. They surprised me with this McMillan move, but they're going to really have to open up the pocketbook if they're going to make that happen. Yeah, the way these things take a life of their own is kind of interesting. You know, somebody reputable, I think it might have been Woj, and, and Woj knows, believe me. I mean, he he's not oh, ever, of course, he's not, yeah. He's not wrong about anything, but he 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 links, he says, you know, D'Antoni would be interested or whatever he wrote, the Pacers would be interested, or just the, the whiff of D'Antoni and Pacers in the same tweet, and all of a sudden, that's all Pacers fans are thinking about, is D'Antoni, I mean, it's just how it takes a life of its own, and and you're right. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen for that reason. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen for the reason I suggested. You know, I do think that D'Antoni, and maybe what Age Woj was getting at, was that years ago D'Antoni was a guy that there was. it might have happened, and it didn't, but it might have. And, and here we are years later, and that ship is – I'm sure that ship has sailed. We'll see. Would you hire Reggie Miller? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't hire him in any city but this one. You know, he hasn't, well, I mean, he hadn't, he hadn't coached yeah. anywhere, no, right? Sure. I mean, you yeah. can't, you can't bring in Reggie Miller with the Bulls and, and, and win the press conference and, and know you're going to win. But in this city, Reggie Miller, you know, this is a fan base that wants to feel something for this franchise, for this team. You know, they want to feel it. They want to believe in it. They want to get behind it. And Reggie Miller is someone they could get behind and believe in. And, 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 and look, it'd be a risk. I mean, we don't have any idea if Reggie A can coach, although yeah, I'm sure he can. But B, what you really don't know is can he relate to the players? Because Reggie's kind of curmudgeonly. Now, he's curmudgeonly. Old school. Right. But he's old school curmudgeonly to people like me. And literally, he's been curmudgeonly to me on press row once, which is fine. Um, I'm sure he treats and views, you know, elite NBA athletes, like much like he was back in the day, differently than he views people like me. So I don't know if he's curmudgeonly to Miles Turner. I have no idea. But I, so I point is, I don't know if he can communicate with young players any better than Nate did. Because Nate was a player, but he's old school, and Reggie's kind of old school too. But bottom line is, if Reggie wants the job, the search is over. Yeah, it intrigues me. But part of me also, Greg, I, I'm just always worried about these guys that we have. You know, he, he is a sacred figure here in Indianapolis, right, Reggie Miller? He His legacy here can't improve, I don't feel like. It could only get worse. So if he comes and, and fails as a coach, then suddenly, you know, it kind of happened to Bird, I feel like. Where, yeah, Larry Bird is still a legend in the state of Indiana, but because he left everybody kind of with a sour taste in their mouth at the end of his Pacers tenure, I, I wonder if that took away a little bit from his overall legacy. I don't know. I'm a worst-case scenario guy. I'm, I'm a pessimist, <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> See, and I disagree on Bird. I, I think that he showed himself to be a great coach, just didn't want to do it very long. And he was a great coach here, okay? I mean, it's hard to the, – the, the standards are different here than other places just because of the, mm -hmm. the what we all know about you can't get a free agent here and i mean I'll, it's just you know winning a title makes you a great coach in, in la in the pacers you know getting the playoffs four or five years or whatever larry did three years in a row that that makes you a great coach so it's different now his gm his general managership didn't end great but he did put together a team that challenged lebron and the, and the big three of the heat so you're right i've not been here the whole time i've only been here since 2014 but i've been watching larry bird my whole life if his legacy is tarnished even a fraction of an inch by anything that's happened since he retired with the Celtics, I'd be very disturbed by that. What do you do if you're Kevin Pritchard now 
moving on from the head coach, just from a personnel standpoint, what, what is the first move that you make? Because one advantage that the Pacers have, I think, is that they do have some tradable assets if, if they want to really shake things up. Yeah. Um, he has said that he really, whoever he hires, and there's a timing to these things, right? There's an order. Whoever he hires will come here with two bigs. Like, you're going to take this job with two bigs. Um, and, then, and then Pritchard's going to say, what do you think about playing with two bigs? So Pritchard will have his hands not tied, but his direction will be informed by the coach. Having said all that, you trade Miles Turner. At a minimum, you trade Miles Turner. And not because I don't like Miles Turner. He shoots threes, he blocks shots. He's a great center in a one-center, four-perimeter player lineup. He is. But I think Sabonis has a higher ceiling, and you can only have one center. And Sabonis will be a better three-point shooter over time. He will shoot better threes over time. He'll never protect the front like Miles. But bottom line is Sabonis is just a little better. So you trade Miles. And you get what do you think? Yeah, I like the – I'm with you. Uh, for a long time, I was a Turner guy. And I, I do think that Turner probably would be a better fit in this modern offense that we're talking about. I think he's a little more polished in that area than Sabonis is. But I still think Sabonis has some growth there. And I just like Sabonis' attitude more. Uh, Greg, it, it, it's no offense to Turner. I'm, I'm not going to ask him to be something that he's not, but he just, he's not tough. You know what I mean? And, and Sabonis has some of that toughness that you're really lacking with Turner. I think t Turner has a lot of skills and, and like I said, I've been a big defender of his, but attitude wise, I, I, I really like where Sabonis's head is compared to where Turner's is. I can see Turner going to a team and Miami's very tough and all that, but I can see him going to a team like Miami and becoming their starting center. And we Bam Adebayo can guard point guards. So I can see him going there, playing center with, that, with Adebayo as a, as a whatever he is. And I can see them winning a championship. I mean, or, or, or you know, I can see Miles being the, the, the missing piece. I don't know, Toronto, you know, they got Marcus Gasol. Somewhere where they're just, you know, one great Boston. player. Boston? Boston, right. A team that yeah. might need a center, but play, I mean, if you've got one center and then four four wings and Miles Turner's your one center, I mean, holy cow, that's awesome. It's just that you know here Sabonis is even younger, and I mean Sabonis could be a twenty five and fifteen guy, you know, if he gets thirty eight minutes a game. I mean, he, Sabonis is scary. Oh, by the way, twenty five, fifteen, and seven. Is, I mean, he's like Nikola Jokic almost, not quite, but but there aren't many players you even say he's a poor man's Jokic. There aren't many of them. Sabonis is one of them, and he might be the, the the closest one we've got in this league. Yeah, but I agree with you. I, I think Turner is the most logical trade piece because I think he's he's going to be the easiest one to move. Um, and and Oladipo selling him off right now, you know, I, I think there aren't a lot of teams that are convinced that he could be fully healthy. Now, you know, it takes. I don't know how the finances work, so I don't know if you can even do this in a trade. But I was thinking about this just today; it just kind of popped into my head. What the Pacers ought to do, I'm sorry, what they ought to do, will be very interesting. And I don't even know, look, to be honest with you, I don't even know who's the, the best player in the draft coming out. I feel, I feel like last college basketball season was two years ago. I don't even know who's coming out in the draft. I mean, it's just, I don't even know. It's been so long. But if there's a great player, if there's a Zion Williamson, and I know there's not, but if there's somebody like that, if there's somebody like that, I would consider trading Miles Turner and Oladipo to whoever wins the draft lottery and, and taking whoever that player is, if he's that good. Again, I don't know who the guy is. You better be Zion-type good. But if you're that good, 
why not trade both those guys and go get that guy? Go get that player. Because that the Pacers clearly need an absolute superstar. Absolute young superstar. And there's only one way to get it, and that's the draft. But they can't do that if they keep winning 45 games a year. Yeah, Timberwolves have the number one pick. Um, okay. The Warriors have been talked about as a trade partner at dangling number two to see if maybe you know a piece like that would work for them. Um, I don't think, and, and I'm kind of like you, Greg, I, I haven't kind of dived into it as much as I usually do because it's been such a weird offseason. I don't think this draft is viewed as going to be a, a great draft. Um, but I'm, I'm cool with, you know, the, the idea and the spirit behind what you're saying. I think the Pacers should be open to anything and everything, whether and, that and, be dealing, you know, Turner, Turner and Oladipo in the same deal or just Turner or just Oladipo and just really shaking up the apple cart. And I listen. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a scout. I you know I, I don't know what translates to an NBA greatness. And Lamelo Ball, you know, he's played in Latvia or something. I have no idea. I'm very down on the Ball family, so I don't know if he's if he's the real deal or not. But Lamelo Ball is a six foot eight point guard that is in the mock draft is considered to go one or two. And Anthony Edwards of Georgia, who I've seen play on TV a bunch, <laughs> looks great. He's a six five shooting guard. I don't know if either one of those guys is good enough. I still don't know. But if they're good enough, if they are like generational talents, if they are, you get that guy and, and you've got your guy for the next 10 years. If either of those guys is that guy, then I say you trade Miles Turner, who you can't have anyway. You can't have two of them. And, and Old Depot and see if you can get it. Now, maybe that wouldn't. Here's my question for you is, does that make sense to receive Miles and Old Depot? Assuming you can lock up Old Depot, you got to lock him up. But if you can lock up Old Depot and you got Miles Turner, do you? Is that good enough to give away the number one pick in the draft? Well, and you'd have to attach something, I would think, back to that because that's a lot of salary that you'd be taking on, even just for next year. I mean, Oladipo's do, what, 21, and I think Turner's do 20. So you're taking on 40-something million dollars of salary, so you have to make those numbers work. Um, but it's hard for me to put my myself in another team's position because we know intimately what the Pacers – needs are and and how they're going to you know try to proceed forward here and build i can't speak to what golden state's rationale is or minnesota's or, or some of these other teams but yeah I, I would love to see i i can understand the motivation from the pacer side of things and i think oladipo and turner have value the question is how much value do they have and especially if i'm an opposing gm and i know like let's say you hire d'antoni or atkinson one of these guys i know that you have to shake up your roster because you can't win with the the personnel that you have there so to me, it's a little bit of a um, it's it's a buyer's market more than a seller's market, um, if you will. Yeah, no, for sure, and I, and that's why I, I hesitate to talk about what trades ought to happen this night because I don't know sure. what everybody else yeah. needs. And I just I just think if you really the, the East is the East is tough. I mean, it's getting tougher, and the Celtics aren't going away. The Heat aren't going away. Um, Raptors, yeah, Scott, look at what the they Raptors are. aren't going away. The, the Nets are about to get Kyrie and Kevin Durant. They're not going away. So I, you, I don't think the Pacers need to blow it up and start over. And I don't think, first of all, you can do that with Sabonis and some of the young pieces they have. But, but I mean, a drastic move. And I, I really think there's a chance Old Depot goes. And we don't know yet. I mean, I'm not sure Vic has any idea yet. But there's a chance he goes. There's very clearly a chance. When he was asked after the, after the, you know, the sweep, you know, you got one year left in your contract. You, you want to get that over with and, and be a Pacer. And he said, I really came to think about that right now. And I'm going to talk about, and then he talked about Old Depot for the next two minutes. Didn't say a word about the Pacers. So I, the, the signs are there that he's not nearly as gung ho 
longtime Pacers. We probably all thought a year ago. Given that, uh, you know, a drastic move is, tra- is is pairing him up with Miles and getting something to getting that young kid you want. So I don't know that that's just. I mean, Pritchard. I mean, I, I feel bad for the guy because he's got so many unknowns, including Oladipo, the head coach. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how you navigate this. There's so many ways to screw it up, and there's probably only one way to get it right, and I don't know what that one way is. He won't lose him for nothing. I'm confident that Pritchard will know either he'll have a conversation with Oladipo and Oladipo will straight tell him or through his channels he'll figure out that, hey, Oladipo doesn't want to be here. I've got to make a move. So whether that's this offseason or before the trade deadline next year, uh, the Pacers aren't going to put themselves in a position to lose Oladipo for nothing. So at the very least, I'm confident there that that something will happen. Um, Let's move on to the protests as well, because you wrote about them in in one of your other columns last week. And really, I I thought a a big moment and a memorable day, not only for the NBA, but for sports. I I think something that we'll talk about for a long time, that sports coming to a standstill once again. And who other than an Indianapolis kid, George Hill, being one of the key figures in making that happen with Milwaukee. I actually think, and Woj and those guys could find out, I think George Hill did this. I think George Hill, literally George Hill, is the reason sports across the globe and and the country, including the Colts, including the playoffs, obviously, shut down. And uh, who was it? Uh, Naomi Osaka, I think she withdrew from some match. And I mean, it went everywhere. And it it started with the Bucs, obviously, boycotting that game. But I think the Bucks boycott started with George Hill. I think he's. I think he did this, which and which is. I mean, George Hill is so, you know, not. You wouldn't necessarily think that. Although in the last three or four months, he's been great. I mean, his comments. He's been very passionate about this and outspoken. I've never seen him as an outspoken guy. I've seen him as a quiet, very introspective guy, and I d- didn't really. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even know if he had it in him to. I didn't know what he thought about. I had no idea. Um, but holy cow, has he been a leader? In this regard, and, I, and to the point that teams in the NBA were mad at the Bucks for doing this without telling them first. Like we, we would have been on board with the Bucks. Like I, the Lakers were even saying, we'd have been on board, but let us know you're going to do this. Don't just do it unilaterally. So anyway, I think George Hill did that. Um, and people talk about, uh, yeah, well, what did it, I mean? The, the naysayers. There's always the naysayers, but they, what did it really do? What did you accomplish? What you accomplished is you showed. They showed that. An entire segment of the population, the black segment, and and a whole lot of of us white people are not okay with what's going on. We are not okay. They are not okay. And and that was a that was a warning salvo, is really what it was. If this doesn't get better, what is their next step? You guys want the NBA? We're not gonna play. Sorry, if you don't stop killing black folks, white cops, we're just gonna not gonna play anymore and give you nothing to watch. I mean they're they have nothing else they can hold from us, but they can hold that. And they showed that. And I thought that was very powerful. I think there's this feeling out there that it's an election year and this is just temporary and all this, everybody's going to forget about it. It's going to blow over. But you tell me if you agree with this, Greg, this is the new normal. The, the people that want to live in this world where politics and sports don't intersect anymore. To me, that world is gone forever. I mean, these guys are emboldened by what's going on and they understand their platform and their brand and their voice. And whenever these incidents happen, whether it be what happened in Kenosha or certainly what happened in Minneapolis, I think these things are going to pop up every time we have one of these incidents. 
Yeah, if you remember, it used to be that you know Michael Jordan was the absolute biggest star. It kind of went Ali, and I don't know who it was for about 10 years after Ali, Carl Lewis, I don't even know. And then Michael Jordan became the guy for about 15 years. Only, as he said, Republicans buy shoes too. So he never, he kept his mouth shut. You know, he just, he was a businessman, and you, you got that right. Um, LeBron, and and plus all the social injustice we've seen, it's, it's gotten worse um, in some ways. You're, it's changed. It has changed. It is, what these guys have all learned is that it's safe. The, the world is safe. You can come yeah. out and say, I'm not going to shut up and dribble. And I don't care if Republicans buy my shoes because there's enough Democrats or whatever to buy my shoes. And even if, even if not, I don't care who buys my damn shoes. This is too important. And besides, these guys make so much money, they can afford to, you know, gamble that their their, their brand goes down a little bit. They're still going to make $500 million before they retire. So, yes, we have reached a point where there's no going back. It, I mean, I say that. No telling what could happen in the next two years. I mean, we could have martial law here in two years. But I, 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 I feel like there's no going back. And these guys all, they're on board with the power they have. And they're trying to, and thank God they're trying to use it for good. Not of the people out there listening thinking, no, they're not. And, and okay, if that's what you think, then you're, you're part of the problem. But then again, if that's what you think, I'm guessing you're not listening to this podcast because you know what you're going to get and you don't want to hear it. But um, yeah, they're, they're not, they're, they are part of the solution. We are all part of the solution. Ryan Kelly telling all of his black teammates who, who, who one after another, these black linebackers from all over the country, Anthony Walker in Miami and Zaire Franklin, Philadelphia, and Bobby Okariki, California, Darius Litter in South Carolina, four different parts of the country, just the linebackers, no telling what, the, what other positions have to say about this, but just the linebackers had run-ins with police that were all similar. And then it, it's uh, Ryan Kelly's time to talk, and this big Pro Bowl white center stands up and says, my dad was a police officer. And that's where the conversation went from there. And that's how we get better by all of these different vantage points, not just black vantage points, but black and white, police and non-police, everybody talking this stuff out and getting better. Yeah, it's amazing to me to see the change just in the last couple of years. Because remember when Antonio Cromartie, who, you know, let's face it, he stunk here. <laughs> but remember he got cut right after he he kneeled in whatever year that was, 2016, I want to say. Um, and he complained that he believed he was released because of the kneeling. And we all know, you know, where Jim Ursay's political stance at least used to be or was for a long time. And for Ursay to come out with the tweet that he had yesterday about Black Lives Matter and it doesn't mean all lives don't matter. It just means Black lives have to matter first. And, you know, Frank Reich saying what he said, who's a deeply religious guy and also white. You know what I mean? I, I just feel like in Ryan Kelly, uh, like you just mentioned, Greg, it's it's been a big, I think, learning process for everybody. And an evolution in, in our mindset. I think my viewpoints have changed over time uh, as I've kind of listened to some of these stories of, of these interactions, which I've never had as a white kid from suburban Connecticut from an upper middle class family. I mean, my you look up privileged in the dictionary and I'm pretty sure my picture pops up in there. And um, with a ball star, but keep going. Yeah, well, and, and with a ball star as well. But it's, it, I think it's just important to have these conversations. And, and, and some people get defensive about it, but I, I just don't think that there's any reason to be defensive when somebody else is trying to share their personal experience with you. They're not making it up. They're being genuine. They're telling you what, how they've experienced it in their life. And we should, you know, be open to that and be listening to that. I'm not asking everybody to change necessarily who they're voting for or anything like, you know, do, do whatever you want, I guess. It's, it's your right. Um, but the the bare minimum of what you could do is at least be receptive to some of these other people and, and their experiences. Yeah, I don't understand the not being receptive part, and I, I feel like some people that aren't receptive 
as you said, they get defensive. I think they almost feel like, are you calling me a racist? And we're not we're not talking about you. We're talking about what's happening in the world and, and with police who are doing this and that and that. But I think some folks just they they really can't see the world through any prism that doesn't include themselves. Like I'm in that picture somewhere too. And sometimes we're just watching a TV show and or a movie and let's see what's happening out there and watch what's happening out there and let's talk about what's happening out there. It's not every show is happening in your living room. It's not your living room is not the battleground here. So leave your living room out of this. Just watch the show and see how we can fix what's happening out there. And if that means maybe changing the sheets in your living room to a different color, then change the sheets in your bedroom to a different color. Little, yeah, little, it's just a little, little sheet reference there for you. <laughs> it's just sad to me because, you know, and obviously we have now the, the deaths at the, the protests and then there was another person that, that died as well. I mean, when we're at the point where we're killing each other and defending people that are doing the killing, you know, that's when we've just gone way off the deep end. You know what I mean? Uh, there's no, no one's life is worth this uh, to, to lose it over something like us fighting about these things. Um, it's, it's a shame. It, it really is. Um, it's, it's been, I, while I'm encouraged and I'm glad to see what we've seen from sports and kind of leading some of that change, I'm also discouraged by kind of what we still see every day. And I try not to venture into the darkest caves of the internet, but you know this, Greg, because you go through your replies, right? Sometimes it, it's hard to, it's hard to not see some of that out there. Yeah. And you know, what's, what's, so typical and obvious is when I get a guy that says something to me that's awful. Um, you know, I will, I, I, I click on him. I want to see, are you following me? Because if you're not following me, I'm just going to go ahead and probably block you. If you're not following me from, from some other city, you're never going to follow me. You're, you, you know, somehow you've, you've latched onto this conversation because somebody tweeted it somewhere and, and you want to let me, well, and that, if you did it today, you might do it tomorrow. And I don't want to see anymore. So if, if you're like some, racist jackass from idaho i'm gonna block you because what do I, I haven't lost anything and i won't hear from you again so i'll do that and and i'll click on so where are you okay where are you from are you following me and then also like who are you because and invariably they're retweeting i'll kick the coverage or they're retweeting barstool or they're retweeting trump and i'm just like are you guys all the same person like who what is going on out here why why is it you people that keep, why do you keep, why are you so awful? And why do you think Clay Travis is the guy you ought to be listening to? And, or, or, so, or worse, higher ups than him. I mean, what, what happened to thinking for yourself and having a heart? I don't, where this, world, where this country is right now, even as we're seeing in, in some ways progress, I, frankly, we saw a lot more progress in the weeks after the George Floyd killing. When we saw, literally, we saw cops kneeling with protesters in solidarity. We saw cops, you know, white cops talking to black protesters and, and black protesters handing them bottles of water. We know you're hot. Here's some water. I mean, that just felt different. It felt more hopeful. I don't feel it now. I mean, you know, Kenosha happens and people are killing people left and right and everybody's dug in on the Internet. And I don't feel hopeful at all. I, I don't. You know, I kind of wish I, I kind of want America just to hit the reboot button, and start over. But that means, you know, that means we're not here tomorrow. But I don't know where we're going. I don't like it. Clay Travis certainly has identified that, that there's an audience there that isn't being tapped into. And Jason from, Whitlock has too, for God's yeah, sake. And, and what now, are you doing? You know, I'll, I'll give them credit for staying true to their brand. I mean, that's, that's 
who they are now and whatever. Uh, you know, that's them. They're going to make some money. You know, and I'm, I'm losing. Good for um, them. And I don't like this at all. Um, you know, whoever's got the job that I have, the sports columnist, the star, whoever that person is, and it's me now um, and will be me for a long time, um, whoever this person is has, has a platform. I mean, whatever. It's not as big as Kevin Pritchard or Larry Bird or, or Jason Whitlock's platform, but it's a platform. And uh, so when I say things I say to you or I write the stories I write about, the protests, whatever, I, you know, it doesn't help my business. Like Clay, Clay Travis and Whitlock, they do what they do, and it helps their business. They make money off of the, what, the things they're writing and saying. I'm losing it. I'm losing followers. In Indiana, I'm losing people, not just for me, but for my whole paper. And I hate that. I mean, that's not good business. That's stupid. But you have two choices here. You can either, in my shoes, you can think what you can say what you really believe and know that it's going to hurt the business, or you can sit quiet and let this moment pass without trying to contribute some way and and, and look yourself in the mirror ten years from now. Yeah. So I, you got to be true to yourself. It's our, you just mentioned these uh, these guys like Clay and his people people like that. They're not brave. They are preaching to a choir and getting paid for doing it. Whereas I am literally spitting into the wind and losing money for it. Like there's no comparison between and, and I'm not. I'm, there's a lot of people like me in a lot of cities like this one doing the exact same thing. I, I'm not this one brave hero. I'm just saying it's just I, I can't stand that that folks like that are benefiting from their hate, while people like me and you are actually being we're we're financially taking a beating for having compassion. It's it it blows me away. This country. Uh, last thing here to wrap up. One area where I'm, I'm actually starting to come around, and I can't believe that I'm saying this, but I'm coming around to Clay on is I'm wondering, Greg, if, and I said this originally when we talked about this on the podcast, I thought that the Big Ten jumped the gun a little bit and should have at least attempted to see, dip their toe in the water to see what the temperature was. Just with this, the amount that they're getting dragged, I don't know. Maybe they make the right decision. Maybe this is a disaster for the SEC and the Pac-12. Maybe this is me, the 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 really huge college football fan, talking here that I'm sad that the Big Ten's not going to have a season. But I just wonder if this is all too much of a mistake for them to just say nope, no no season, or this, this nonsense about starting in Thanksgiving. You know, to me, that's a complete joke. Yeah, if you're going to cancel your season or postpone, as they say. You don't postpone it for three months and then, okay, and we're going to turn November. Just at some point admit you screwed it up. Because, I mean, November, what are you doing? Like those other leagues are going to play their season. Are they, are you going to ask them to wait for you? Or do you expect to be part of the yeah. college football playoff in January? Do you? We're going to have two different seasons at two different times, but they're overlapping. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you can't – at some point, take your medicine. Take your beating if you're taking a beating. Take your beating and go on. But don't just screw it up by keep making the other decisions. Having said that, I thought all along – uh, and I'm sure I've said this to you all along, that the college football season will start and won't finish. Um, and I feel like that's just seemed obvious to me. Given that's what I thought was going to happen, I had no problem with it not starting at all. Because if, it's, if, we, if we all kind of know it's not going to finish and it's going to be outbreaks everywhere, then why even start it? Why put us through that? And why, why have these superseding events where the, the COVID spreads just because we stubbornly tried football? So I'm okay with the big thing doing what they did. And I think September 1st is too too early for anybody to say with any def- definitive. I mean, Clay's going to say it because he does what he does. But for you and me to have, have second guessing about this is too soon. I think the time to second guess is in mid-October. If, this, if the season's going strong, then we can say, well, the big thing got it wrong. 
But even if they did get it wrong, even if history shows the Big Ten and the Pac-12 got this wrong, they got it wrong for the right reasons. Sometimes you're going to be wrong for the right reasons, and that's more honorable than being right for the wrong reasons. Now, being right for the wrong reasons gets you paid. Being right for the wrong reasons gets you popularity. Uh, being right for the wrong reasons lets you make fun of other people. Being wrong for the right reasons is uh, there's nobility in that because your heart's in the right place and nobody's perfect. We're not going to make the right decision every time, but if our heart's in the right place, you can live with that. Yeah, you can live with it, and it's it's noble for sure. I'm not disagreeing there, but the Big Ten will have a, a really difficult time living this down if the SEC and these other teams have a complete season and their fans are are robbed of that, if you will, Greg. Yeah, but you know I mean, what? People, people will talk about it forever, about the Big Ten quitting on the season and, and all of that, and they're just going to get dragged. I don't think so. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, I'm wrong. Certain people will talk about it forever. Yes, you're right. Certain people will. I don't think people like me and you will talk about it forever. Um, and the people that understand why the Big Ten did what it felt it had to do. I, we're not going to talk about it forever. We're, we're not going to hold it against them. They did this. But but you are right. You are right. The dumb segment, and Clay Travis, and I, I, we're, I'm saying his name way too often. It sounds like I really know what he's <laughs> – it sounds like I really – like I read I, – I, I really don't know what he's saying or doing. I just kind of know in general. I know in general where his heart is, so I can only imagine what he's saying or doing. But every now and then, I'll be honest with you, I'll see a tweet. Someone tweets out, hey, this is what Willock wrote. And I'll read the tweet and go, I'll be damned. Even though I can kind of predict where that guy's going to go, I never thought he'd go that far. And I don't read it, but just the tweet itself is so awful. But um, anyway, yes, the absolute worst of us will hold it against the Big Ten forever. But sometimes, you know, you, you got to judge yourself on who your enemies are. And if your enemies are certain people, then you must be living right. One last thing, uh, non-sports related, but I wanted to leave with this. Uh, my wife and I were heartbroken to learn of the closings, not only of Rook, but also Black Market. And Greg, you and I back in March and April talked how important it was to support not only local restaurants, but local businesses. But I, I think what happened this past week is another reflection of that. So if you are listening to this and you, and you do, look, I know people have trouble making rent and making car payments and all that. So me telling you to go out and spend you know, 50 bucks on takeout, uh, that, that comes from um, uh, an advantageous position. I get that there are other people that, that don't have those means, but if you can, try to support these places because they're part of what make Indy special. And Rook especially was probably our all-time favorite indie restaurant, and um, I'm, I'm greatly going to miss. I'm, I'm excited to see what Carlos Salazar does next, but I'm greatly going to miss that place. Here's what it comes down to is that people, most people do eat out or take out even if they really can't afford it, they do it anyway. Just like, you know, people, not the same thing, but people that can't afford it, smoke. You can't afford it, but you spend 10 bucks a day on cigarettes anyway. You can't afford it, but you eat out food anyway. So what Derek is suggesting and what I'm insisting is if you're going to eat out anyway, and I'm going to do it too, maybe one less time to Pizza Hut and one more time to um, Greek's Pizza Bruce. on Mass, Mass Ave. Yeah. Or Brosini's so. down in your neck of the woods, Southside. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Stop going to Burger King and go to Brew. And uh, maybe go to Burger King instead of twice this week, go to Brew once, that sort of thing. Uh, latest columns for Greg, Pacers and their prehistoric offense. Which no, 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 also. no, no, no. I got some coming up right now. I don't want to talk about it too oh, much. You? but okay. uh, It's posting in a couple. I'm writing it right now. The, the, the best resume the Pacers are going to have, maybe not the best, but certainly one of the best, from a playing experience standpoint, playing 
coaching, who your references are, your age, your generation, everything. If they have a better candidate than someone whose first name is Becky, I'll be real surprised. I'm not saying hire Becky Hammond. I'm not writing the Pacers ought to hire Becky Hammond. I'm not writing that. But I am saying her resume, I'll put that up against anybody's. I mean, Matt Tony's different, right? But up and coming, assistant coach, wanting to be a head coach, Becky Hammond for Popovich. Anyway, that's coming out later today. So please, if you're listening to us now, read that later. Looking forward to that one. Colts and their social stand, uh, NBA boycott and more, IndyStar.com. Subscribe and also listen to this podcast every single week. Doyle and Derek coming at you again next week with a new episode. Thanks so much, Greg. Have a great week. Thanks, Derek. Derek and Doyle sounds better.